Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast here on this Wednesday, the 5th of July. I hope all you guys had a wonderful 4th of July weekend, and hopefully you had a long weekend, had a good chance, do some barbecue, watch some fireworks, not get yourself killed. That's always a good thing. Uh, and so on this podcast, mainly what I like to do here on this podcast, talk about one or two things, but I also just take the questions and topics and opinions that you guys send to me. How do you send me a question? It's simple. Simply email me at thejohncampiapodcast at gmail.com or make sure you're following me on Facebook and on Twitter and just uh, you know send me a message there because on Facebook and Twitter at John Campia, I will put out a call for questions and you guys can send in questions there. So lots of ways to get your topics and questions to me here on the John Campia podcast. And we're going to dive right into it, starting with question number one. And question number one today comes from James Fung, who writes... I loved Wonder Woman, and I would love for Patty Jenkins to come back to direct the sequel. However, I'm setting up myself for disappointment that she won't be back. A year ago, everyone loved Deadpool, and it made massive amounts of money. We know now that director Tim Miller is no longer attached. Could we be getting our hopes up so soon with the possibility that Patty Jenkins will be back? Yeah, well, look... Um, Patty, I, I believe 100% the main reason Wonder Woman worked was, and the, the moment I started to believe, oh my gosh, this Wonder Woman movie is going to be a good movie, was the moment that they announced that Patty Jenkins was coming on to direct. She's a terrific film director, and I was, I felt pretty good about the chances of her directing a really good Wonder Woman movie. So it came out a little while ago that Warner Brothers failed to sign her to a multi-film contract. Now that's not, it's a, it's a touch unusual, but it's not massively unusual. Like it's not completely rare. Warner Brothers has been in a position where, understandably so, they've been playing it a little bit more cautious. They've been wanting to hedge their bets a little bit and take their breath and take some time and not get too far ahead of themselves. They had faced some some criticism before, uh, rightfully so to some degree, about just getting too far ahead of themselves. Like remember when they made that massive, uh, you know, uh, call where they had like nine movies lined up and now half of those aren't even happening. But so they're taking a little bit cautious and they decided to sign her to a one film deal. And there's some wisdom in that. I get it. The unfortunate thing is if you're Warner Brothers is that the film worked out to be a massive hit and now you don't have Patty Jenkins under contract for the next film. What do you do? Now I've said before that I believe Patty has all the leverage here. Because, you know, so far, none of the DCEU films has successfully garnered the universal love of the fans and critics. Uh, Man of Steel didn't, no matter how good that movie is. Uh, Batman vs. Superman didn't, and Suicide Squad didn't. Now, it, they, those movies have their fans, like myself. But, you know, it's fair to say that they failed to garner universal praise the way, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy did. Or the way a lot of the Marvel films have. So that's fair to say at this point. So along comes Patty Jenkins. She directs a Wonder Woman movie, a movie without Batman, uh, you know, except for he's alluded to a little bit, and makes it a certified hit. The audiences love it, the critics love it, and the box office loves it. So, I mean, across the board, she's got all the leverage. Now, that's not to say that Patty Jenkins is the only good director in the world, though. There are lots of good directors. So, I mean, look, it would not be the end of the world. It would be unfortunate but it would not be the end of the world if Warner Brothers, for whatever reason, opts to go with another director. As long as it's a good director, it's not the end of the world. Patty Jenkins did an amazing job, and I am all for, for the record, I am all for Patty Jenkins coming back to direct the next Wonder Woman film. Actually, I'm all for Warner Brothers handing Patty Jenkins whatever movie she wants to direct, and I'm told that's what I would want. 
But at the same time, let's not act like the sky's going to fall if she doesn't because, you know, other directors will come in. Other directors came in for Harry Potter. Other directors came in for Star Wars, the original trilogy. A lot of some people don't realize that George Lucas did not direct all three, you know, of the original Star Wars trilogy. He only directed one of them. Now he was in charge of all three of the movies, obviously, but he only directed the original Star Wars and he handed off the director's chair to other directors for Empire Strikes Back and for Return of the Jedi. So let's not act like if Patty Jenkins doesn't come back, that's it. Game over. Not at all. Warner Brothers can go and get another good director. However, I think it's fair to say that Warner Brothers wants her back. I think the only thing at this point that would prevent Patty Jenkins from coming back to direct another Wonder Woman movie, because she doesn't strike me as the type who would be overly greedy. I don't think she's going to go to Warner Brothers and demand $100 million, and to which Warner Brothers would have to say, screw you, get out. Um, no, nothing like that. I think the only thing that's going to prevent Patty from directing another Wonder Woman movie here is probably Patty Jenkins herself, as if she chooses not to. Now, why on earth would Patty Jenkins choose not to direct a Wonder Woman sequel? Well, there are a couple of reasons. Reason number one, right now, she is on the hot list of directors. I mean, absolutely. There are a lot of studios right now lining up to offer her projects, to offer her movies. Because who wouldn't want to have from the director of the Academy Award winning film Monster and last year's hit film Wonder Woman? You know, who wouldn't want to put that on their marketing? Who wouldn't want to put that on their trailers? So right now, Patty Jenkins probably has more than any other time in her career, probably has her pick of projects she wants to work on. And maybe she's got three or four passion projects that she never could get greenlit before because she's a woman. Let's be honest. That she could never get greenlit before, but now studios will line up to greenlight. Maybe there are some massive franchises or properties that she never would have dreamed before being having the opportunity to direct, and now she's getting the opportunities. Now she's getting those phone calls to direct those movies. It would not be crazy of Patty Jenkins to want to step away and go and do one of those projects, strike while the iron's hot. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is this. She's probably a student of history. Look at what happened to Joss Whedon. Whedon directed Avengers. And at that, once he directed the first Avengers, I still personally think the greatest comic book movie ever made. Once he directed Avengers, he was the hottest director name in Hollywood. Like whenever, you know, things would come in about who should direct this movie, it was either Christopher Nolan or Joss Whedon. Those are the two names that people always came up with. But he stuck around and did Avengers 2. He did Age of Ultron. And while Age of Ultron's a good movie, it did not live up to the first Avengers, and it certainly didn't get the universal love and praise that the first Avengers got. And suddenly, his name was nowhere near as hot as it was. Suddenly, Joss Whedon didn't have just whatever pick of whatever movies that he wanted to do at that time. There are probably some, I'm just speculating at this point here, there are probably some projects he had the opportunity to do after doing Avengers that he no longer had the opportunity to do after Age of Ultron. So somebody, a smart person like Patty Jenkins might be sitting back and going, hmm, my name is as hot right now as it has ever been. And I can do, probably I have more options available to me now than I ever had. Wonder Woman 2 is a great option. But if I do Wonder Woman 2 and it doesn't live up to the first one, I could lose a lot of my other opportunities. Maybe now is the time to take advantage of one or two other dream projects I've wanted to do and then come back to the DCEU later on. Now, again, if I was Patty Jenkins' best friend, and I am not, 
But Patty, we should hang out sometime. If I was Patty Jenkins' best friend, I would suggest to her, do Wonder Woman 2. I mean, because you put out another good DCEU film. I mean, right now, you're everybody's favorite person in the DCEU. You put out another strong DCEU film, you will be like crowned as the savior, the individual savior of the DC Cinematic Universe. And I think there's a lot of potential upside to her coming back and do it. So I would recommend that she does it, that she comes back and does Wonder Woman 2. As a fan, I hope she comes back and does Wonder Woman 2. But I just wanted to make the point that it is not crazy for either Warner Brothers to decide to go and get another director. And it is also not crazy if Patty Jenkins decides, now's a good time for me to do some other things I've wanted to do. Neither of those scenarios are crazy. I would guess that there is a... 70% chance that Patty Jenkins comes back to do Wonder Woman 2. I think it's a 70% chance. So I would put my money on it that she is. But again, it's not crazy to think that she won't, either because of Warner Brothers or because of her. And I don't think either of them could be blamed if that was the case. Anyway, great question. Let's move on to the next one. And the next one today comes to us from Igor, who writes, Please tell me that you are excited about the upcoming movie Death Wish starring Bruce Willis. I remember you once said on Movie Talk that the only upcoming picture starring Bruce Willis you are excited about is Glass. Now, for those of you who don't know, Glass is the pseudo-sequel to Unbreakable, the M. Night uh, movie with Bruce Willis, and also the quasi-sequel to Split. Now, by telling you that, I might have just given away a big spoiler, but if most of you have seen Split by now. If you haven't watched Split by now, you're probably not interested in it, but go away. Anyway, they publicly announced that Glass is a sequel to Split, so I'm not really spoiling anything. They've publicly said that. Um, so yeah, and I'm really looking forward to that. I cannot wait. Look, the, the Sham Hammer is on a resurgence. The Sham Hammer is on a resurgence. If Matthew McConaughey had the McConaissance, we're in the... Shalemissance, I guess we're, we're at the beginning of the Shalemissance right now because he put out that little movie a year or two ago, The Visit. And that was a nice little movie. That was actually a really nice little movie. And then it wasn't the best movie of the year. It wasn't in my top 10 of the year, but it was a real nice little film. Best movie M. Night had put out in a long time. And then along comes Split, another really solid movie. Not in my top 10 of the year, but a very solid movie. And, you know, he is on a bit of a resurgence. And then they made the announcement that everybody wanted to hear. The next movie is going to be Glass. Of course, named after uh, the Samuel Jackson character, Mr. Glass from Unbreakable. So we're all super excited about that. But there are a couple of reasons why I've not been so excited about the idea of any Bruce Willis project. Number one. Bruce Willis belongs in the Hollywood Hall of Fame. Make no mistake about it. I would be the first guy to vote him in. I'm a big Bruce Willis fan. But as a Bruce Willis fan, he's phoned it in a lot over the past 10 years or so. There are a lot of movies he's just phoned in and didn't really care about. And there's really an unfortunate story that went on behind, I can't remember the name of the buddy cop movie that Kevin Smith directed with Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan. And Bruce, or not Bruce, but uh, Kevin Smith tells some pretty horrific stories about the making of that movie. And anyway, I don't want to pigeonhole a guy based on one other person's stories, but you can just tell from a lot of movies he's been and he's phoned it in and things like that. He hasn't really seemed to care. He's one of the most talented dudes in the world when he wants to be. And so I think Glass is a project that he'd be really up for doing and excited about doing. So I'm excited to see about what he would bring to that because I know he's excited for it. But I, I just can't get excited for anything else 
that he does, at least that he's the lead in at this point. Now, there's been a lot of talk about this Death Wish remake. And you know what? Bruce Willis filling the shoes of uh, Bronson. Yeah. Of Charles Bronson. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I can totally see that. It's an interesting choice. But I still can't get terribly excited about it until I see him. I'm just going to have to go into it and hope he delivers. If he goes and delivers, it'll change my mind. But as of right now, even though I think he is the good choice for the role, it's hard for me to get too excited about it. Plus, you know, I'm all for remakes, but remakes don't have the best track record. So it's difficult for me to be excited in advance for a remake at all, whether or not it was Bruce Willis. So I'm not terribly excited about it, but I'm very curious about it, and I will be there to see it, absolutely. All right, and thanks for the question. The next question comes to us from Justin Fawcett, who writes, I've really been enjoying your new videos, YouTube channel, etc. Well, thank you very much, Justin. I appreciate that. You've said before that you're a digital movie purchaser. Well, after reaching critical mass with my movie collection, I've seen the light and I am in the process of converting one-third of my movie collection to digital, and eventually probably 50-50. I am primarily an iTunes user, but there are other formats that I'm unfamiliar with, Ultraviolet, Flickster, etc. My question is, what is your preference for digital purchasing or renting? Yeah, uh, I actually don't own that many Blu-ray or DVDs. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know, a bunch, but really, if you would think that somebody who does what I do for a living and how long I've been doing it, you'd think I would have like bookshelves filling the rooms and I don't really. Mostly because for the most part, uh, I'm a movie renter. I realized early on, like I, bunch, I bought a bunch of you know DVDs early on and I realized, and even before that, I bought a bunch of VHSs. I realized that once I owned a movie, I probably, except for a few exceptions, I didn't watch more than once or twice after I purchased them. There are a few exceptions, but for the most part, I didn't watch them more than one, two, maybe at the most three times. And then one out of every 20 movies I owned, I would watch like two or three times a year, but they were the minority. So I started just getting into renting movies more than anything else. Uh, and then when Netflix, remember when Netflix used to be a mail service, it wasn't a digital streaming service. It was a mail order service. Um, so I started using Netflix and I started, you know, I was a frequent at the Blockbuster or whatever with the local video store was. And when I was just in the mood to watch Battle Force or to watch, you know, some other, you know, some Dirty Harry movie, whatever, I would just run and rent it. And that would scratch that itch for the next two or three or four years. And then I'd be done with it. So then when digital purchases came up, I really got into those. And now I buy a lot more movies than I used to. Number one, because they don't take up any space. Uh, number two, if I buy them digitally, then they're available to me wherever I am and wherever I go. You know, if I take a trip to Houston, I don't have to bring my DVD collection with me. They're all available to me digitally and I can watch them wherever I go. So that's a, a great thing about it. Um, and my personal service, now I have tried Ultraviolet uh, and I have tried one or two of the other services that are available on uh, the Roku. There's a, there's a number of them available on Roku. And I've used iTunes before because I'm a big Mac guy. But I've actually found that my service of choice is the Google Play Store. I, I love using the Google Play Store. Uh, their prices are as competitive as anybody else. They have a huge selection. And what I really like about it is that I'm really plugged into the Google Suite. Like I use everything. I haven't used Microsoft Word in like 10 years because I just started using like Google Docs and, and other kind of alternate programs like that. But I'm a big Google Docs user. I use Android for my mobile devices, my tablet, my phone or Android devices. So I'm really plugged into the Google, uh, 
I use Google Contacts. I use Google for my spreadsheets, for my documents, for everything. I just use Google+. Plus. I really find it handy that when I'm in YouTube, I can just open my movies from YouTube. Like if, if you have a, if you're at a web service or if you're at a website on a computer and you're on a web browser and you're on the YouTube page and you're signed in, you have your movies available to you there too. I mean, it's really kind of handy. So look, I don't think there's anything wrong with using iTunes or using Ultraviolet or using any other, I think Fandango has a service now. I pro- there's probably nothing wrong with using any of them, but me, for my own personal preferences, because I'm so plugged into the Google ecosphere anyway, and because I really like the way it natively connects into YouTube as well, and how easily it streams on my mobile devices, or if I'm at somebody else's house, I guess say the Google Play Store. I'm a really big fan of it. So if you haven't considered the Google Play Store for your digital movie purposes, I would suggest checking it out. All right, we move on to the next question. And the next question comes to us from Andrew Odette, who writes... My question regards fantasy movies. With the current adoration for Game of Thrones, there is clearly a desire for the fantasy genre, yet the Lord of the Rings trilogy, we have yet to see any cinematic phenomenons. Is there a reason why I have yet to see something as easily accessible as Star Wars or Marvel from a fantasy standpoint in the mainstream of blockbusters? And is there anything you would like to see from a pre-existing IP? Yeah, I, you know what? It's uh, I Throw in Harry Potter there. Harry Potter, I think you could fairly say, is part of the fantasy genre in many ways. I mean, it's not sword and sandal fantasy genre, but it kind of fits a little bit. I remember... Back in the day when Lord of the Rings was coming out, there was a real lack. We'd gone through a number of years where there was a lack of sword and sandal fantasy epics, right? Then Lord of the Rings comes out and everybody just kind of thought, oh my goodness, the the doors are going to be blown off the fantasy genre now. Now everybody's going to line up to make the big epic fantasy movies. But what happened was kind of the opposite of what I thought would happen. Studios actually shied away from it. And I remember listening to one executive from Sony talking about it and saying that Lord of the Rings was an intimidating bar. Like that Lord of the Rings, instead of throwing the floodgates open, it actually made a lot of studio executives more nervous about it because the bar had been set so high. How do you compete with a trilogy of fantasy films that all of them get nominated for Best Picture, and one of them has the record for most Academy Award wins with 11. It's tied with two other movies, but no other film in history has won more Oscars than Return of the King, Lord of the Rings Return of the King. And so I remember hearing this executive talking about how it became a little bit of an intimidation factor. A lot of studios would read some scripts that are fantasy-based and go, this doesn't come close to Lord of the Rings, and they throw it away. This doesn't come close to Lord of the Rings, and they throw it away. And that's a that is an intimidating kind of standard to set for yourself. And look, and let's not fool ourselves. It's not like buddy cop movies. Making a big fantasy epic is risky because it's going to cost you a ton of money. Like just a ass ton of money to make a good, big, epic fantasy film. So you're talking about rolling the dice with huge budgets on properties that you're a little bit afraid of might get compared to Lord of the Rings too much and recoil. I remember there was a day when a lot of people thought the same thing about big space fantasy movies because they didn't want to be compared to Star Wars. So what I thought was going to happen, which was Lord of the Rings throwing open the floodgates, the opposite actually happened. And I think we're still kind of in that scenario right now. And really, when you're talking about like existing IPs, 
there hasn't been a big fantasy series that has been as culturally sweeping as like, say, The Hunger Games was. Like The Hunger Games, everybody knew about The Hunger Games before the movies came out because of the books. Everybody knew about the Harry Potter franchise before the movies came out because the books were so popular. There hasn't really been, uh, other than Fifty Shades of Grey, <laughs> there hasn't really been a fantasy series of novels that has had that sort of exposure. One exception would be Aragon, the one about the dragons. Remember? Well, what happened? They made one and it stunk and it pulled the plug on that right quick. So I think that's part of the reason why we haven't seen it. They're huge risks. It's not like you could just spend $15 million and try try your hand at it. It would take a significant investment to do it. And they're all afraid of being compared. I would love to see a resurgence of it because these big fantasy epic films, these are films I want to see. I'm really looking forward to seeing more of them. All right. The next question comes to us from Zbigniew Zabinski, who writes, Do you think Lucasfilm would take the risk of killing off Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi, forcing the newer cast members to try and carry Episode Nine on their own, without the help from anyone in the original trio? Well, I mean, whether or not they'll kill Luke Skywalker off in Episode Eight, that could be for a lot of different reasons, none of which would be killing him off so they could let the newer characters stand on their own. If they're going to kill him off, it'll be because they have dramatic purpose to kill him off. And I don't think they're killing him off in it. However, I would say this. I don't think Lucasfilm should shy away from the idea of killing off Luke Skywalker because they're nervous about the new characters being able to carry the film. Because by episode nine, you're in the third film of this new trilogy. If those characters can't carry the movie on their own by the third film of the trilogy, then that means that you as filmmakers have dropped the ball. If you cannot have these characters carry a film by themselves by the third installment, then that's on you as the filmmaker for not setting them up properly. Now, personally, I feel like they're already at a place. I feel like if Luke Skywalker wasn't in Star Wars Episode Eight, and, you know, General Organa, Princess Leia was not in Episode Eight, I believe these characters could carry it themselves. I love Finn and Poe. Uh, I love Kylo and I love Rey and I love all these characters and I think they can already carry a film on their own. But no, I do not think, number one, that they're planning on killing off Luke, but I don't think anything, any of it has anything to do with their fear or them even having a fear that the new cast could carry the new film on their own. I don't think that's part of the equation at all, but good question. All right. And now we move on to the final question of the day. And that comes to us from Duncan Butler, who writes... I know when actors sign up for roles in large franchises like the MCU, they often sign multi-film deals. My question is, does Chris Evans' small cameo on the TV screen in Spider-Man Homecoming count against his deal? Or are there exceptions to the size of the role for it to count against that contract? Yeah, um, this has come up before because... Spider-Man Homecoming isn't the first time that Captain America, as you've seen in the trailers, Captain America's on the TV screen while Peter's in gym class. This isn't the first time that Chris Evans has done small cameo bits in one of the MCU films. Remember in Thor Ragnarok, when Loki temporarily turns into Captain America, he shapeshifts into Captain America. So he had a very small part in there. Now, the way that that works is simply this. So Chris Evans, for example, signs his contract. It's a seven film deal or a 28 film deal or a two film deal, whatever. There is no way Marvel is going to put him in for one minute into a movie as a cameo role and then lose one of those films off his contract. There's no way Marvel Marvel just wouldn't put him in the film. It's just that simple. It's not worth it to do that. 
But what the contract doesn't preclude them from doing is making a side agreement. So let's say this. So um, Marvel has a contract with Chris Evans for, say, seven films, for whatever. Let's just say seven. I can't remember the exact number of his current deal. But let's say it's for seven films. Marvel has no intention of using up one of those seven on a small bit role he does in one of the movies. So what they do to him is they go to him and his agents and say, hey, we would like to make a separate agreement with you just for this one movie. Can we sign a contract for you to appear in Thor Ragnarok? You only have to come down for a single day. It's just in one scene you got to be in. We'll dress you up in the cap outfit. You just got to be in one scene. You do it for the day and we'll pay you X amount of dollars for appearing one day. And that will be a separate contract, a separate agreement outside of the main agreement. So there's a main agreement with your seven film deal, seven film deal. And then we have the separate agreement that's for something else entirely. And I have very little doubt that that's exactly the scenario that they had for Spider-Man Homecoming, for Thor Ragnarok, as well as, you know, um, for instance, what, which movie was, I think it was Iron Man 3, where Mark Ruffalo shows up in the par- post credit scenes. Again, I'm positive that did not count against his main contract. That was just probably a side deal he made with them that he got paid a separate amount of money for with a separate deal to appear in that. And so that's how they manage that. It's just the easiest way to do it. All right, guys, that'll do it for this installment of the John Campia podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, I want to remind you guys that uh, there's an app I love using. It's called Share the Meal. Now, we often talk about wanting to change the world. Well, Share the Meal is a fast, cheap, easy way for you to actually change the world for somebody. Whenever I, I go out to eat, I just eating out reminds me, oh yeah, share the meal. I pull up my phone, open the share the meal app, just hit the button, share the meal, and it instantly donates $3.50, which that may not sound like much to you, but that actually feeds a kid for a week who otherwise ain't gonna eat. So it is one of the easiest, best, simplest ways to actually make a real difference in the world for somebody. I wanna encourage all of you guys who follow me on uh, on YouTube and on social media, Give it a shot. Download Share the Meal. It's in iOS and Android. Find it in your app store. Download it. Give it a shot. I think you'll get hooked on using it and you'll feel really good about it. Anyway, guys, don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Make sure you're following me on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter. Follow my channel throughout the day. Any breaking news, I tend to make a video about it pretty quick. So that'll do it for me, guys. Thanks so much for joining me. And until next time, bye-bye.